You're listening to the Apple Insider Podcast. Welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast. This is episode 101. I'm Victor Marks, your host, and joining me is Daniel Aaron Dilger. Hey, Dan, how are you? Hi. Um, thanks for doing the podcast. Thanks for having me on it. And, and I just, definitely, definitely. I, uh, I, I note that you're using the AirPods to record today. So for our listeners who are wondering what's going on with sound quality or things like that, this is because this is the sound of the AirPods microphone. I have all my stuff in boxes, and uh, so that's what I'm using right now for a microphone. Very, very good. So I want to start off by mentioning to our listeners that we have deals. There are, uh, through our good friends, B&H, we're offering shoppers the lowest prices available on a variety of 2016 12-inch MacBooks with discounts of up to $200 off, and you get Parallels Desktop for free which allows you to run Windows applications on your Mac if you need to. Plus, you can save $50 off iPad Air 2s, and uh, the late 2016 13-inch MacBook Pros also start at $1,349 after the cash savings, and there's free expedited shipping and no tax outside of New York State. So this is a great way for you to get a new machine or an iPad Air 2 or, or other discounts if you're looking for them from our good friends at B&H, and I'll have that link in the show notes. Um, so, Dan... I, I need you to unpack something for me. I, I, I always come to you when I have these questions because I, I think about these things, but it's not always easy to make it clear. So we, we ran two stories this week. We ran one story whose headline said that Apple saw twice as many mobile device activations this holiday season as Samsung. And we also ran a story entitled Love is Blind that NPD says that Android customers are so committed to the exploding Note 7 that that or so committed to Android that the Samsung failure with Note 7 didn't really give a bump to Apple. So yeah, these, these, these two things seem like they're competing stories, but I imagine that, that somewhere in there, there's a truth that can apply to both of them. Can you help me understand this? Um, so my idea is that both are a little bit right and a little bit wrong. So starting with the Flurry information, uh, Flurry looks at activations. I believe that Apple's uh, iPhone launch is much more cyclical than Samsung's are. Samsung has a couple of flagships. They have the the S7 in the spring, and they have the uh, the Fablet Note in the fall. And so they do have some cyclicality. When you know when the new phone comes out, there's there's a difference in how many people are buying it. Uh, but it's not nearly as much as Apple with the iPhone every year, where it, it you know there's a huge surge when they first release it. There's often people waiting in line, and then it trails off towards the end of the year. It doesn't trail off as much as it used to. It used to be a very, you know, immediate boom and then sort of waiting for the next one to come out. Um, and we've seen a couple, there's a, a couple other things that change the cycle. You know, China has a boom that happens later with Chinese New Year in the, in the early part of the year. So the cyclicality of iPhones is changing a little bit, but it is very much a thing where, you know, the, the new iPhone comes out and there's going to be a huge bump. And if you can, if you look at Flurry's data, then they're saying that, there's more activations for iPhones than there is for anything else, uh, but more so for Samsung, almost twice as much, or maybe more than twice as much. I, I remember the numbers exactly. Right. Uh, so I'm the, looking the at it, and it says that 44% activations were Apple and 21% activations were Samsung, according to their data. Right. So uh, among other things, that's our percentage. And when you look at last year's numbers, those are actually a little bit worse for Apple. Because last year, Apple had a slightly higher percentage and Samsung had a slightly lower percentage. So what does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean a whole lot because you can't compare uh, two different years. 
because a lot of things are changing. This year, Samsung's entire flagship exploded. That's the most horrible thing that's ever happened to Samsung. It's, I believe it's the worst technical problem that a tech company has ever faced. It's a huge recall. Um, it's hard to think of anything that's even comparable. I mean, Microsoft had, you know, they re- repaired like half their Xboxes or something, and it, they put a billion-dollar charge. This is much bigger than that. This is going to cost them billions and billions of dollars. Uh, it's the only phone they're making. The other difference between Samsung and Apple, besides cyclicality, is uh, Apple makes one kind of phone, profitable phones, that are quite expensive. They're more than $400. Apple owns almost all of that market. Samsung makes a ton of phones that are, you know, just rudimentary phones like everybody else in the industry that make no money. And the phones they make that are like iPhones, the Galaxy, most of the Galaxy brand, uh, are the ones that make some money. They don't make as much money as iPhones. And they give a lot of away at discounts and promotions and stuff. So Samsung is selling a lot more phones than Apple. We know that. Every quarter they come out, I mean, we have estimates of that are, you know, quite reliable. They, they've consistently sold something like twice as many phones as Apple forever. But they make much less money than Apple. So when you're comparing activations of Samsung phones, what does that mean? Does that mean Samsung phones that are sort of like an iPhone? No, it doesn't. It means everything Samsung makes. There's no cyclicality there because there's always people buying junk Samsung phones. And this year, there's a huge deficit of people buying the phones that make money, at least for the on the tablet model that got pulled back. So everything is different. It's really hard to make any clear generalizations from these percentage numbers because the numbers are changing so radically and they're a composite number. Like I'm saying, the Samsung number is not just a percentage of the market, but it's broken down into, you know, it's mostly cheaper phones. So looking at the flurry numbers, they're almost useless. You know, it's kind mm-hmm. of a tantalizing idea that Apple is um, activating more phones, but of course they are. It's Apple's launch. And looking back at last year's numbers, they actually don't look as good. But there's so much other things that are happening that it's hard to really say anything from what they're doing. And that's I have a problem with a lot of research companies that put out data that has this very tantalizing idea that something is happening when if you really examine it, it's like, wait a minute, you've just said something in an artfully contrived way that you're, you're stating something as if it's facts and numbers, but it's really a graph that you have created to, you know, get people's attention, make people click links. And I'm not just thinking on flurry here. This is like almost every report we get. Yeah. Breaking up. I'm sorry. I was just thinking that you don't have necessarily enough information to draw a a well-founded conclusion, right? Right. I mean, it's not only you don't have enough information, but it's like it's almost purposely information that they're, they're pre- presenting is not enough uh, to come to any useful conclusion, but it's it's also does not support what they're actually insinuating. And we see this so much in tech reporting, and I'm, I'm writing this article about it, and um, it, it's almost every report. And, of course, that benefits companies that put out information in overt press releases. I mean, Microsoft just came out, and they're talking about how you know, the number of MacBook switches to Surface is just really incredible and it's huge. And, well, what does that mean? What, what, what is the numbers? I mean, Microsoft is not selling huge numbers of Surface computers. We know that. We can look at, they've been in the ceiling of a billion dollars for the last several years. They're not surging, selling huge numbers of computers. And they're really jumping on this idea that, oh, Mac users are really upset with Apple. It's like, yeah, there's a couple of bloggers that are, but overall Apple is not having any problems selling Macs. That's why they're putting such a huge price tag on their Macs, because they don't have any problems selling them. Samsung has problems selling phone. That's why they keep slashing the price. 
when you see companies slashing the price the way Google does and the way Microsoft does and the way Samsung does, that's because they're trying to create demand for their products. So it doesn't matter how much they say about, you know, blah, blah, whatever, Amazon's, you know, popularity list, whatever, it's all meaningless. So that's the problem that I have with the flurry data. The other data, you know, you can take a poll and construct it in such a way as to get whatever information you want from people. I well, see that so much. Wait, wait, wait. Let me, I mean, th- so. I've th- seen four polls. I've seen four polls about the Samsung thing. And the first two said 30% would never buy a phone before. It's like 34% would never buy a Samsung phone again because of the recall. They did it later in like October. 40% said they would never buy a, a Samsung phone again because of this unfolding trauma of Samsung. And a third of those said that they would buy it, they would move to an iPhone. So then you have Reuters and uh, CNBC jointly coming up with this data that says, oh, we, we asked a bunch of people certain questions and you know what we got back was that this has no impact on Samsung's brand and ha- doesn't help Apple at all. That's completely hard to believe. And okay, so NPD is saying the same thing. And wait, it's wait, like, but let's these are companies that know how to say, uh, craft questions to get responses that create whatever story they want to say to say. But stop for a second, because NPD's okay. data is a little bit different. And NPD's data is data that comes from registers. What what they do is they don't survey people so much. They they instead look at the register data coming out for what's sold. And that's where their numbers come from, Is is they know what got sold out of a number of different retailers. They, they track Best Buy, they track, uh, they, they, you know, they, they track the cell phone carrier stores, they track Walmart, Target, and, and the cell phones that are sold through those guys. So they have retail, and they have real, detail, re- real retail data from the register. So they have from, numbers from that aren't based, not, not all, but many. I believe they don't have Amazon, they don't have Apple, which is kind of important if you're talking about Apple stuff, but... Well, yeah, but they're they're talking about Samsung stuff, really. They're, but are you know, they only, they're, they're trying, only talking about sales? Because the Samsung Note thing not selling is kind of a big deal, and Samsung doesn't have another phone that's comparable to that except for the S7. And I don't so, think a lot of people are... That's where their data comes from. What they what they say or, or, or come up with as their contrived statement after that is is another matter, right? One is is data based, the other is their opinion about trying to interpret that data. So what they said was that they believe that you know what happened was that the numbers suggest to them that Apple's share was uh, slightly lower and Samsung's was slightly higher from last year, and and the flurry data showed the same kind of thing there. Their NPD analyst, Stephen Baker, told the Wall Street Journal that he believes that Android loyalists are committed and that even the dangerous exploding batteries in the Galaxy Note 7 were not enough to push significant numbers of customers over to the iPhone. And that his what, what he's saying is that people who bought or wanted to buy a Note 7 went for a different high-end Galaxy phone. Yeah, certainly people there, there are people who like Samsung and they're, they're going to keep shopping Samsung stuff. And, and the comment that he made was uh, he actually said it. Um, people who wanted to buy the Note 7 opted for a different high-end Galaxy phone. Uh, what are the other Galaxy phones that they have that are high-end? Well, so they had the Note, and then they had the uh, the S7, right? Which is half a year old now. And what else do they have that's a high-end phone? Not really anything. They have that, some mid-grade phones, like the, the R, was it the J5, the other one that caught on fire? But um, it it's really, it, it's, it's kind of that data that, it's catchy well, and it draws headlines because it's so counterintuitive, but I don't think it's counterintuitive. 
did hurt Samsung. You cannot have just constant bad news. You, you every airport have bad every press airport. after bad press. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is pretty bad. And, well, you know, the kind of stuff that this is not the way they would report it if anything similar happened to Apple. I mean, if you remember iPhone 4 and there was a problem oh, where if you put your falling, hand over right? the phone, yeah, and it, it would cut out your phone call, it was like, this is a recall. You know, we have to, like, make this is the death of Apple. It's like the end of the, smart, the iPhone and, you know, they're just going to, like, fade off into the sunset as an Ultra. And, you know, these are phones that caught on fire and burn people. And you're telling me that yeah, it's going to have zero impact? <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. This is, this is just completely ridiculous to say that it has no right. impact on Samsung's brand and that people aren't changing their buying decisions. So, so I think what happened, and this is my speculation, is, is that when this happened, you went into the cell phone store, your carrier store, and all the carriers had this program going at the time where you'd walk in and you'd say, I'd like a different phone. Here's my Note 7. I'm returning it. Give me and, and early on in this catastrophe, they would give you a fresh Note 7. And then shortly thereafter, as, as it was clear that this was not the fix, you'd walk in and they'd give you any other phone in the store. And my suspicion is that when people came in with the Samsung and returned it, that they were pushed to the S7. You liked your Samsung? Well, sure, I kind of liked it. I hate that I have to return it. It's a nuisance. Great. I've got another Samsung for you. It's right there. And that while it was in the, the, the announcements that they would let you move to an iPhone, that I don't, I don't know if the people in the stores pushed for that or or made it clear. Right, you'd walk yeah, in, you'd I mean, say, "Here's my know. phone." We have no idea. It's my speculation, uh, but but that that's. I mean, the closest we have to know, data is this other report where people were, you know, this was a, an independent company that looked at. It was a uh, poll where they're asking people what they were going to buy, and it was a significant number. 30, so, 34 and then 40% said that they would never buy a Samsung phone again. And a third of those said that they were going to move to an iPhone. That's, a, here's my that's a huge number of switchers because if you look at the, the pools of switchers, like um, Ericsson, I believe it was Ericsson did a report showing how very there is a lot of loyalty among buyers. People tend to buy what they had before. And the, the number of switchers is something like 2%. It's a very small number. But that's really important. If you can siphon off 2% of your competitors' um, clients, then you have a sticky ecosystem that stay, keeps them on an iPhone, I mean, in Apple's direction. So, yeah. My, to, my having difficulty with surveys of, is this, right? When, when you make a survey, you, you have to first design it so that you know you're getting a representative sample. And, and if they do it and they send out and they get the result back says 30% and they do it a couple weeks later and come back with another 40% example, um, I, I'm, I'm, I, I understand that the conditions have changed under which they were surveyed, right? The catastrophe kept getting worse, yeah, therefore more people worse. might have said. But you know, you, I, I, I look at that with a skeptical eye because I want to make sure that it's the same sample, right? They're getting the same people or the same types of people so that they know that it's representative, that's the first yeah. issue. And then the it's second issue is, is, is are, are the questions enough questions? Are they the right questions? Because p- people lie and, and people will tell you, oh, heck no, I'm never going to buy that again. And, you know, give them a couple months. The disaster blows over. They feel better about it. Maybe they do buy another one. Right. Sure. I mean, like you're, what you're saying is, is true. I, I agree with it, that it deserves skepticism to look at uh, any of these kind of polls, facts, that are gathered in a, any sort of way like that. But there also needs to be skepticism of numbers in the industry that uh, companies that are presenting only a very tiny subset of information, they do so strategically 
They're not doing it because they only have one number. They have a lot of numbers. They're not sharing a lot of their data. They find one little bit that is scandalous and, you know, creates headlines. That's what they share. And that's the case with NPD. I like, I like the company. I mean, I like, I've talked well, to the and guy. He's a nice guy. But the, the they are very strategic in what they want to the really data, right? Exactly. I mean, for NPD, that's, they're kind of their business model. There's a lot of other companies. I mean, IDC, I've written a lot about them. They very clearly have a, a in, intent and bias to present certain facts that, you know, they, they line up data behind it, but it's kind of clearly not the true, you know. Like, like I've, I've had a little problem with their the way that they look at Apple Watch and the way that they present information about it. It's very, very carefully coached data to suggest that Apple Watch is just a huge smoldering failure, and then they compare it to $25 Chinese exercise bands and suggest that Xiaomi is, you know, on the same level, that they're kind of tied with Apple, which is just absurd because we're talking about like $30 million business versus, you know, multi-billion dollar business. Yeah. And one is a real product, you know, and one is just like something people are buying out of a curiosity or something. I mean, it's, it's very clear that, you know, what they're putting out there is, you know, intended to create a picture that's not true. So what, what is your that. verdict on this? What is, what is your verdict here? On what, the Samsung phone? The, well, and, and uh, Apple activations and what you think these, the, the, some of these two stories is. What's the truth part of it? Because you mentioned that part was true and part was false. So what's, just pin down the truth for me. So what I'm saying is with activations, that, that's, it's kind of like looking at two different pictures of the same thing and you're getting very different data. But also, it, it's, showing, it's not showing you a lot of the other information that's really important. So, for, for example, the activation data doesn't really capture how much of that is phones that matter, phones that are expensive enough to drive sustainable business model, you know. They have to have phones with a profit margin. So if you're comparing junk Samsung phones with iPhones, you know, that's that's one thing that kind of doesn't even matter anymore. It's like now you're talking about two different things that we're not talking about profit. We're not talking about ability to sustain a company or, or a platform or anything like that. We're just pulling numbers out of the air, you know that are kind of meaningless. Um, cyclicality is also important. The fact that, you know, the iPhone is launching, Samsung isn't really launching anything. They've had something, you know, mislaunch. So there's just so many things in play that it's hard to, it's hard to pull any of the really useful information of, of, out about percentages of total activations. I mean, you know, that kind of data is getting really close to being useless. So until we really have estimates of how many phones shipped, I mean, that that's, even those estimates are a little bit sketchy, but at least at least you're looking at numbers, not percentages of a you know total pool that's constantly changing on a weekly basis. I mean, percentages are a very easy way to present misleading statistics. All right. Particularly percentages of change, you know. Yeah. So let's let's move on. I want to talk about a story that we ran about an unfortunate. Really, really a, a, a sad thing that happened. And what happened was that um, there was a young woman who was uh, was driving a car, and FaceTime was involved because the there was a, a driver who slammed into this young woman's car and was engaged in a FaceTime call when um, when he was in progress and and the police found that the app was still running and that a call was in progress when they arrived at the accident scene and this this poor young woman um 
died at the accident uh, scene, and or or at least her death stemmed from the accident. And there's a lawsuit from her family suing Apple because the FaceTime implementation is apparently less safe than possible than than possibly available, and as such is somehow partly responsible for the crash. The, uh, the filing says that the conduct of the driver that caused the accident is inextricably intertwined with Apple's failure to implement a lockout feature on FaceTime. It's a very tragic story that this girl died, but her attorneys are just trying to collect money. And this is really a tenuous thing. I mean, one of the things the article says is that Texas doesn't have a law restricting cell phone use. So it wasn't even illegal that this guy was, was doing something that was completely insane. You should not, you know, it's, it's, bad to be on the phone in your car but having a FaceTime conversation I mean are you kidding me this is ridiculous so I mean that is completely the fault of the driver at fault but you're going to blame Apple for not preventing it from doing that in a state where it's not illegal the, the state doesn't even make it illegal I, I find that it's just it's an ambulance chaser I mean they're trying to get money which you know yeah. I mean if my daughter was killed by a car I mean I suppose I'd be letting the lawyer do whatever he wanted to get money but, um, yeah, it's a tragic story. But, yeah, nobody it is using time in a car. And Apple doesn't, you know, if Apple created an implementation for, like, CarPlay or something that encouraged people to use their video phone on, in their car dash, I mean, that would be something that you could say is liability. But to be using, it's so obviously not safe. Right, right. To it's- be using a FaceTime conversation when you're driving. And, you know, we don't know the whole circumstances, too. It could have been a situation where, you know, he wasn't using it in an unsafe manner and something else happened and caused the crash. You know, we don't, we don't I, have enough I really can't speculate to know exactly what happened. But, yeah. You know, the, the point is, is that if you're driving, a hands-free system is a better idea than holding a phone. And CarPlay is a good hands-free system. CarPlay will take FaceTime audio calls and handle them the same as regular audio calls placed over the cell network. So that's that's the correct thing to do, and Apple's already implemented that. Uh, as you say, answering video calls while driving is absurd and, and irresponsible, but that's not Apple's being irresponsible, and that, that they don't lock it out by based on you driving uh, doesn't seem wrong to me. It seems the same as, as whether or not they would lock out regular phone calls based on driving. Am I wrong? Am I understanding this incorrectly? Yeah, I mean, the complaint is actually saying that Apple needed to create a design that would lock out prevent use of FaceTime while driving. It's like, no, they don't. The yeah. companies don't have to like stop people from doing any crazy thing that I think is pretty clear that you shouldn't be doing a FaceTime conversation while you're driving. I agree. So is Apple, you know, what else are they going to do? Are they going to prevent you from using your phone at all? What about if you're a passenger? How does Apple like figure out whether you're a passenger or the driver? There are apps to do that. There's this Gas Buddy app that I use. And if you're using it while you're driving, it says, hey, are you using this while you're driving? And you have to push a button that says, no, I'm a passenger. Which, you know, how safe is that? You can be driving and say, no, I'm a passenger. Yeah. But, you know, it, 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 this is obviously just a kind of a desperate money grab. But, you know, I don't can't say anything bad about that either. So how America works. Okay. Do you use an Apple Watch? Yes. Have you ever had your digital crown get stuck? Um, I sort of noticed it getting a little bit, um, not stuck, but like not moving as smoothly as it used to. It kind of like came and then went away. But So a- Apple has a solution for that. And it's actually very easy. Um, 
because all of the devices can be worn while you're you know exposing them to water in the sink, for example, the correct answer is if your Apple Watch digital crown is getting a little gummy, a little sticky, a little not moving as smoothly as possible. So hold your Apple Watch, powering on and off and holding digital crown under lightly wa- running f- warm, fresh water from a faucet for about 10 to 15 seconds. And as you rotate and press the crown, as the water's running over it, it will free it up. And you don't need to use soap. You don't need to use anything else. Just just warm running water will fix your Apple Watch. Kind of like the mouth balls of the current decade. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we used that, to have... Like, pull the ball out and clean it out every once in a while. Well, that, like and if you remember the... The old magic mouse with the ball on top of it, and, and you'd have to turn that upside down and run it on your jeans to get junk out of it? There's another thing that I I heroically fixed somebody's phone. They had an old like iPhone 4 or something, and he was saying that it, it doesn't charge anymore. I mean, it barely charges. You plug it in, and it would take forever to, to charge up a little bit. And you take a toothpick, and you stick it in the dock connector and go back and forth, and this also works with lightning. And you can pull out a cat. There will be a cat, I guarantee you. If you put your phone in your pocket, it builds up so much lint and junk that you can pull out a huge, grotesque amount of stuff out of the dock connector, and then your connection works again, amazingly. So dock wow. connector or lightning connector, whatever, they they tend to build up junk and cruft. Because unlike most things, it's in your pocket all the time and just collects lint. And, but if you're having a problem, plug it in. That's, that's something to try. Just stick a toothpick and clean it out. I usually blow it out with compressed air, but that might work too. Yeah, we can have compressed air. Yeah. So we every week we come here and we talk a little bit about iPhone rumors, and this this week is no exception. Uh, this week we have reports from the supply chain that suggest that Wistron, the builder of the iPhone 5C and SE, has secured some orders for future iPhone models. Uh, we don't know exactly what models those will be. I'll Though obviously the suspicion is the iPhone 7s and uh, you know rumored 7s or rumored iPhone 8. Um, can you can you tell me what you think about that? I, I think the Touch Bar component in the MacBook Pro is built by Wistron. Um, an interesting, I think it was the flurry data that we were looking at. There was also other information about uh, popularity of different phone sizes and iPads. Yeah. And it, it was showing basically since over the last three years, or 2013 maybe, the popularity of large screen like iPads and also mini iPads has gone down considerably. And big format phones, and that, that's not just Apple stuff, it's like across the industry. And larger format phones have rapidly increased in popularity, what they call phablets. That's like the iPhone 6 Plus or 7 Plus. Um, and uh, small phones have almost blown up and dried away, gone away. Now, in Android, there aren't any like premium small phones. There haven't been for a very long time. Apple has been kind of like the only company, especially with the iPhone SE, to be putting out a modern kind of high-end premium smaller phone. But if you look at trends, it it's kind of looks like the, the rumors suggesting that we're going to have two new iPhones that are sort of an upgrade of the 7, so a 7S and a 7S Plus, and then a new phone that's kind of like an ultra-premium thing. And I find that likely that Apple's going to go in that direction. 
although they do have a lot of data, and they have made comments that the iPhone SE sold in kind of more than they expected. I don't know how much it changed. I haven't seen the actual, I haven't looked at figures recently on, on um, you know, the sales breakout estimates, but there are people who do like that. I have some friends that have picked an uh, iPhone SE because they like the size. Same is true for and, Neil Hughes. And I'm kind of deciding, I, I don't know if I told you this theory I have, I have been using this, uh, a plus size phone, the 6S, and, and, uh, now the 7 Plus, um, all year long. And I find it kind of prevents me from getting on my computer because I can sort of sit and use this phone that you can't do productive things with, but you can do almost everything you can do on a computer. So I waste a lot of time on it. And I found, I, I think that's what's hurting my back. There were a couple of times when I had just like horrible back pain. And I think it's from sitting in a, in a terrible slouch with a huge phone instead of sitting in my ergonomic desk working on a computer or having a small phone that you occasionally pull out and check. But have, when you're just constantly on a big phone, I think that's really bad for your health. Wow. So, I mean, I mean, that is that's interesting. Around. Yeah. I mean, everyone's different, but I think if for me. Yourself, like, three months with uh, an SE sized device and see if it, if it, your back felt different. Yeah. So I, I've, I've changed my behavior intentionally so that I, I kind of avoid doing that. And that seems to help dramatically. But I mean, one of the things I noticed was like the summer when I was in the hospital, my appendix exploded. And I was afraid that, you know, I'm going to be, I'm laying around so much. I'm going to be dealing with back problems. And I didn't have any back problems really. And, um, then after I got out of the hospital, I was sort of going back to sitting around on my phone and started developing the same kind of things as like tightness in my shoulder. And I had like tingling down my arm and just starting to fall apart. And when I consciously avoided that behavior, uh, it, it got better. And now it's not really a problem anymore, but I think it, I, I was also reading about, uh, there was a video on Facebook about millennials and how much time we're spending on our phones and how the, you know, we, we've created a younger generation where my generation was like, Oh, you're watching too much TV. You're sitting around watching TV. And now that we have a TV in your pocket, that's also an internet terminal and you, know, you can do anything, you can talk to people and you can send videos and whatever. It's very easy to just be constantly enraptured with other people on in other places and not who you're around and not pay attention to who you're around. When you're at dinner, you're not talking to people at dinner. What they're just talking about, you're sitting down to a, a meeting at work and everyone's on their phone waiting for the meeting to start and they're, they're doing whatever they want to do on their smartphone. And then when the meeting and starts, it, they put their phone down, but they're not talking to each other before that. They're not, yeah. There's no small talk. There's no blah, blah. There's no just enjoying the moment. And I think that's having an impact on society in ways that are kind of unanticipated. And I think we need to think more about how to kind of break the cycle of just spending so much time because it, it's very attractive to, to have a computer that can just tell you anything you want to know right now. But it's also, you know, that's not something that we've been able to do until sort of recently. And it's having an impact the same way that television had an impact. And before that, you know, radio to some extent, but it's really changing how a lot of things work on a fundamental level. And there's health issues related to that. And, you know, almost anywhere you're walking around, you see so many people looking, looking down at their phones. I think we need to change how we do things. The, the, a great example of that was Halloween night where we were out trick-or-treating and you could see how many parents were walking along buying their kids staring at their phones. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's like if I'm just and, slightly and, bored, I'm, I can go to my happy place on my phone. Yeah. And that, that, is that prevents you from having a lot of interactions that you might not immediately choose to have, but that could be important, you know. Talking to people you wouldn't normally choose to talk to. It's like, I can talk to you, but I would rather talk to somebody on my phone that I like better. Well, you're yeah. missing your opportunity to talk to somebody in a workplace environment or, you know, a stranger or any number of situations where things could open up and you could have, you know, things could be different. So talking about immersion, you, you've been wearing the Apple AirPods and you've been using the AirPods this whole show, but but you've been wearing them, using them and, and experiencing them. Do they make it that much easier to separate from from the rest of the world when you're wearing them daily? Because we're talking about this kind of, of avoiding thing. Um, well, first of all, I was giving, I was giving some thought to that. I was trying you to wear them full time. I mean, I don't wear them all the time, no. But I do wear them walking down the street. And it is, you know, it's very much like an iPod sort of feeling where um, when you're sitting on a bus or, or whatever, it's it's like an anti-invitation to talk to you if you have white earplugs, earplugs in. And, you know, it's like not just Apple. It's like any, any kind of music device that you're listening to. But Apple really popularized it. And, you know, everybody had headphones in. And it kind of means, like, I'm listening to music. I mean, I'm, are you going to interrupt me? It better be important. <laughs> and so... In San Francisco, there's so many, you know, there's so much just kind of vagrancy and people making you for money all the time. And um, having headphones in, you can just kind of like ignore it all, which, you know, that's, it sounds terrible, but it's also like there's a reason why people do that because they just don't want to constantly be telling, you know, interacting with people. It's like, no, I don't have, I'm not going to buy you drugs right now. The, 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 the confrontation part there is, is worth avoiding, or at least that's what they're doing. Yeah, and it's not like a conscious, it's not like a rude, like like you're putting up your hand, like you're not going to talk to somebody. It's just, you know, I'm listening to something and I'm in a bubble. And unless you have something really important, you, you know, you, there's like a little barrier to asking you for something. And um, so I've, I've felt that before with iPhones in when you, or um, your phones in. Uh, without wires, it's a little bit different because you have something in your ears but you don't have this kind of signaling wire, you know, coming down, coming to your music source. Um, people can tell you have them in, and you can talk to people when you have them in. It's not like over the ear headphones where you can't really hear somebody. Um, and you can sort of discreetly turn down the volume, like on your watch or something. So you can walk up to a register and have a conversation with somebody and turn them back up afterwards. So I think it's maybe a little bit less uh, of that barrier that I was describing and less isolating. Um, and it's also like in the review, I was talking about how invisible it feels when you have headphones in, you're constantly reminded, like as the wind touches the, the cables kind of sway around and touch your face or you you turn and it creates tension and pulls and pulls in your ear. And you're very aware that you have headphones in with these, you put them in and you kind of forget that they're in there and you just have sort of a music soundtrack that's sort of just magically happening. And, you know, it's just headphones in your ear, but um, it's that feeling of just having a soundtrack as you're walking along. And so it feels more like an augmentation than a barrier. Slightly. Do you find Even that you use Siri more? Yeah, I mean, I, I use Siri a lot when I'm in a car because I don't have to feel embarrassed or anything. When I'm walking down the street, I feel like a little bit embarrassed to be talking to my even even the earpods, I feel like I have to look around and be like, "Is anyone on my block?" <laughs> I don't want to be too nerdy right now, but I'm I'm kind of like that. I mean, that's kind of 
I'm probably more most people. Well, there is a societal pressure there. You know, you don't want to be the uh, the the jerk using the Bluetooth headset, right? Yeah. I mean, whenever I see somebody just talking loud on a Bluetooth headset, I'm just like, wow, you're you're the commander of your world, don't you? But, well, it's um, it's the always you know the classic one is where someone's having a conversation, but they're asking questions, and so you feel like they're asking you. You start answering, and they yeah. they say, "No, I wasn't talking to you." Yeah. Or they're just completely unaware because they're so in their conversation. For sure. So, so that's the societal experience of using it and the Siri experience of using it. What do, what do you think about the sound quality? Because a lot of people were talking about how great they sound. What's your impression? I think they're better than EarPods, the wired version that Apple's bundled with iPhones, which were already, you know, they're like, okay, they're not audiophile like devices, but um, the, the EarPods fit your ear better. I mean, for me, with, when you have wired headphones in or earbuds, they tend the wires tend to pull them straight downward, where these fit at sort of an angle. So at least for my ears, they fit in like a puzzle piece and direct towards your mouth, and they feel they feel more um, fit and like don't move around as much. And everyone's ears are different, and some people might not work for them. I've heard people say that they don't. There was somebody who wrote an article for the The Verge that was complaining that they didn't work for them personally, and sort of a. Um, but I think they said everyone that they work with fits in. So it's kind of like if you're on the fringe of the bell curve, it might not work for you. But it's kind of the same thing for anybody. So they sound better than EarPods. There, there's, um, they don't sound as good as studio microphone or studio headphones that fit over ear and um, have huge magnets and all that kind of stuff. But I think the sound quality is very adequate for what they are. It's very good. And also Bluetooth. Um, particularly if you put your phone in your pocket and your hand over the top of your phone, I know I did that sometimes, you can make it clip, clip, uh, clip out. Um, and it seems it's kind of brief, and it's kind of the thing where you almost don't even notice it until after it's happened, and then it's like kind of in the past. And doesn't, whereas a lot, of, a lot of Bluetooth devices, they would like fall off and just like stop working, and then you have to reset it up. So Apple's implementation of Bluetooth is much better. It's not completely perfect in every way, but it's it's... It's to the point where it's so good that it's very pleasant to use. And in terms of sound quality, it's like there's a little bit, um, I don't know how to describe it perfectly, but it's like flat and in the mid-range to me. But you can also change, depending on what you're listening to, you can change the EQ settings on in music settings. And Apple kind of buries it. I wish they would expose that more or even just kind of automatically have a setting to be like, hey, do you want us to make it sound better? <laughs> you know, here, push this button and we'll analyze the kind of music you're listening to and, you know, make it so that it sounds as good as your earbuds can sound. So what's what's your verdict? Do you have a recommendation for people for this? The AirPods? Yeah. I gave, I gave it the best review I've ever given an Apple device. I've never given an Apple device five stars before because there's always, you know, something you can say, you know, it needs this, needs that. And, you know, you can imagine things that this, that Apple could do with AirPods going forward, but as a as a product that you can buy right now, they're amazing, and I love them. And I, I really enjoy them. It's not just like if it's a very good product. It's like it's really enjoyable. It, it makes me happy to use them. Really? So, yes. Yes. <laughs> there you have it. <laughs> All right. It's as well, abusive you know, as they can be. I, I mean, that's that's a fairly positive review, let's say. I think the other, the, the second most, like, gushing review I ever wrote was the original iPhone. It was just like, hold the phone, you know, here's... See, I can understand this. that. Yeah. It was pretty amazing. 
And I don't know if I gave it full five stars. I mean, I, I, I think maybe we were grading them differently at the time. But And also when the, the first iPad came out, I was also like, this is a really cool thing that's going to blow up. And everyone is saying it's nothing. And, you know, big iPod it's, touch. It's cool deal. Well, thank you, Dan. Th- this has been the Apple Insider Podcast. Uh, Dan, do you have a parting thought for our listeners? Um, well, it's the end of the end of a year. At the beginning of 2016, I wrote these articles saying basically Apple doesn't have competition anymore. And I think 2016 made that clear, and Apple's competition actually got weaker. And you know, Samsung was almost starting to like go back to where they were in 2014. They were almost you know reachieving that that level of success. And then they kind of blew up on their own. So going into 2017, it'll be really interesting because Apple has just invested billions of dollars into silicon and you know, all the new stuff they're doing with development tools and, and Swift and also just incremental changes in the operating system to make things better. So Apple's really getting to a point where they're, they don't really have competitors. And you know, the tech media keeps inventing competitors for them, you know, the Google Pixel phone or whatever. And it's like, you know, it might be an okay phone, but it's not going to matter commercially. So, I mean, going forward, it's hard to see what Apple's, what, what's going to really compete with Apple. I mean, there may be sort of a, a disruption for us where people go back to feature phones or something, you know, on that kind of level. But um, it's hard to see what's going to be in their path. So it'll be interesting to see what happens in 2017, what new stuff they roll out. All right. This has been episode 101. Uh, where can people find you on the internet, Dan? I'm on Twitter at Daniel Aaron, E-R-A-N, and I think it's also my Instagram. But we also have a an Apple Insider. It's Apple Insider underscore official on Instagram where we post photos and videos and stuff. Excellent. Well, I'm, I'm your host, Victor. You can, see me, you can see me doing my headstand with my AirPods in. Yeah, we saw that in your article. We talked about it last week. And and that's the episode. If you catch Daniel wearing AirPods, doing headstands around San Francisco, be sure to talk to him, and uh, or, or at least take funny pictures and post them on Instagram and link them to us at Twitter. We will be back next week. This is episode number one. Thank you very much. Please feel free to leave reviews at iTunes and uh, contact us and tell us what we're doing and what we can do better. We are happy to do this for you, and we hope you keep enjoying it. 